0: Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. To learn more, go to JanusHenderson.com. One of the things that people assume is that the future, when you have electric cars, sort of looks the way it does now, but just instead of a petrol engine, you just have an electric motor. And instead of going to the petrol station, you just plug it in, but everything else stays the same. And I think that's not likely to be true.
1: Welcome to The Best New Ideas in Money, a podcast from MarketWatch. I'm Stephanie Kelton. I'm an economist and a professor of economics and public policy at Stony Brook University.
2: And I'm Charles Passy, a reporter at
1: MarketWatch. Each week, we explore innovations in economics, finance, technology, and policy that rethink the way we live, work, spend, save, and invest.
2: Today, we're going to start with the sound of a signature. That's President Joe Biden signing an executive order last year that set a target for 50% of new cars to be electric by 2030.
1: Do you see that sucker over there? Zero to 60 in 4.1 seconds. It's all electric. I tell you what, and I want to say publicly, I have a commitment from Mary when they make the first electric Corvette, I get to drive it. (laughs) Right, Mary? You think I'm kidding. I'm not kidding.
2: The Mary that President Biden is addressing there? That's General Motors' Mary Barra. She has announced the goal that by 2030, between 40 to 50 percent of their U.S. sales will come from fully electric fuel cell or plug-in hybrid vehicles. CEOs from other automakers have joined in the pledge. The EU is taking it even further. It's advancing a bill to ban sales of conventional gas-powered vehicles by 2035. And the shift to EVs is already revving up. Earlier this year in the U.S., electric vehicles accounted for a record 4.6% of new car registrations. That's up 60% from last year. That's according to data from Experian.
1: There's a lot of hype around electric cars, but looking at a different set of numbers is an instant reality check. Less than 1% of the 250 million vehicles on U.S. roads are electric. A lot of talk about EVs takes place in some imagined future. Maybe that's why it still feels like a new idea, a sort of untested ground. But it really isn't.
0: We think of them as a modern technology, and the idea that they were trundling around in New York in the 1890s is really quite extraordinary.
1: That's Tom Standage. He's the author of A Brief History of Motion.
0: Which is a history of cars.
1: Standage says the story of the electric car goes all the way back to the 1890s, but it actually starts even before that with the horse-drawn carriage. Back then, the number of horses in big cities like London or New York was becoming a major issue. They crowded the already busy streets, causing traffic jams, unbearable noise levels, not to mention the tons of, well, you know, piling up in the streets. When the car was invented, it was seen as an innovation that would free us from all of that.
0: If you go back to that period, particularly in America, there is really a three-way competition between gas-powered cars, as they call them in America, so, you know, petrol cars, electric cars and steam cars. And roughly equal numbers of them are being sold each year in the late 1890s. So, you know, you really, it's not clear at all which one's going to win. The
2: steam engine was the oldest technology at the time but it was big and heavy, and the boiler took a long time to start up, making the steam-powered car a less attractive option.
0: Soon, the battle was really left between gas and electric cars. And the electric cars are very clean, they're very quiet, they're very, very simple, they've got very few moving parts, and they work. And the petrol-powered cars are much more complex, petrol engines are much more complicated things, and they're always going wrong. When you buy a car, you actually get the set of tools with it, because it is assumed that you or your, you know, your manservant is going to be the mechanic that keeps it going. And businesses that relied on transportation
2: saw the potential of electric cars. If you walked down the streets of New York City in 1897
0: and you hailed a cab, there was a good chance that cab would be electric. Electric cars are brilliant for fleet vehicles because you have to take them back to a depot periodically and then you can recharge them. In the late 1890s, two EV
2: enthusiasts named Pedro Salam and Henry Morris invented what they called the Electrobat. It had the driver sitting up front and the passengers in a carriage, much like a horse-driven carriage, but without the horse.
0: It was rather like Uber. They started in one city and then they raised a lot of money and they tried to roll out to lots of other cities very, very quickly. And the idea was, at that point, cars were very expensive. Most people could never afford them. So this was a way of saying, well, you don't need to own a car. If you can call one whenever you need one, an electric taxi can come and pick you up and take you to the station or or wherever you want to go.
1: The inventors had grand visions of expanding their business concept to other cities, So they teamed up with the maker of the best-selling electric vehicle at the time, as well as an influential New York politician and financier, William Whitney. They called the new venture the Electric Vehicle Company. And the startup took off. It raised enough money to build thousands of electric cabs and open offices in several other big cities, including Boston and Chicago. For a moment, it was even the largest automobile manufacturer in the U.S., But the company was poorly managed, and it turned out fraudulent, too. It had raised a lot of money on false pretenses.
0: And then the whole thing collapsed. And in America, that really tainted the whole technology of electric cars. The whole thing, you know, became associated with this massive, massive scam. And petrol cars were seen as the sort of more reliable and trustworthy alternative.
1: Another thing that might have contributed to the demise of the electric car? Sexism. Almost immediately, there is a sort of
0: gendering of These kinds of vehicles that electric cars are assumed to be for women because they have a short range, so you could go into town, you don't have to crank them to start them. So obviously only men are strong enough to do that. They don't break down, so you don't have to repair them all the time. And again, that's assumed to be a male activity. And the the trade-off is essentially if you have a petrol car, then it's more powerful, it can go further, it can go faster, but it's less reliable and you have to maintain it yourself. And that's something that sort of adventurous, mechanically minded men are assumed to want to do, and that women are assumed not to want to do.
1: Electric cars were even designed differently to fit the perceived needs of women at the time. By the 1910s, they were marketed to women as simple to operate and designed to be more spacious so women could sit with their friends.
0: I think there's also a a bit of a factor that some men liked the idea of buying electric cars for their wives because it limited how far they could go. You can't run away in an electric car because the battery will just run out. And so it was a way of constraining how far their wives could go. So Henry Ford, even after he's invented the Model T Ford, he still buys a different an electric car from another another company for his wife because they're, you know, women are supposed to have different cars.
1: Marketing electric cars to women and gas engine cars to men had business implications. Women were a small minority of drivers, but ultimately Standage says electric cars were up against more than just a poorly run cab company and sexist marketing. By the 1920s, Henry Ford had revolutionized car making with lower production costs and the Ford Model T. The internal combustion engine also had become more reliable, but at the time people were worried they'd run out of fuel So Ford teamed up with Thomas Edison to develop a low-cost electric car.
0: This is like Bill Gates teaming up with Elon Musk to try to solve this problem. And they're like, we're going to build an electric car, and that way we won't have to, you know, we we, we won't have to rely on oil. And they failed to do it. It doesn't work. And the reason is because the battery technology just isn't there.
2: Ford and Edison were using lead-acid batteries, which were very, very heavy and very slow to charge.
0: So at most, an electric car in those days had a range of maybe 80 miles, and a lot of them had a, a range that was smaller than that. And so they tried the best they could, and Edison tried to come up with different battery chemistries, but ultimately they couldn't find something that worked, and so the project failed. And electric cars were sort of relegated as a sort of a, a terrible joke, a bad joke, for, for most of the rest of the 20th century. After the break... Why one electric
2: car had a cult following in the 1990s, only to then be discontinued, and how that led to the founding of Tesla.
1: Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to janicehenderson.com. Welcome back to the best new ideas in money. Before the break, Tom Standage, the author of A Brief History of Motion, explained a big reason why electric cars didn't take off. They relied on batteries much less powerful than the ones EVs run on today. We'll hear more about that in a moment. First, we should talk about a key ingredient that made the gas car triumph, oil
0: it's quite hard to imagine a world where most cars were electric just because petrol cars were so much more convenient, particularly in America. I mean, America was the biggest oil producer in the world until about the 1940s. And America adopts cars on the scale that it does, partly because it's a big you know, big country and people want to move around, but also because the oil is available and very, very cheap. And so the petrol is widely available. And that convenience of being able to just fill up wherever you go is something that is still not possible with electric cars today, even though we've got much much better technology. So I think the triumph of the petrol car was probably inevitable.
2: Oil seemed bountiful until it didn't. Through the 1970s, especially, the U.S. underwent several major oil crises. Then add worries about pollutants, greenhouse emissions, and geopolitical implications on top of that. Tom Standage says that led car makers to once again try to innovate. It simply would be too risky to be solely reliant on oil. And the interest in electric cars re-emerged.
0: You get various mad electric cars, and you look at them now, and they are, I mean, one of them was reviewed by Consumer Reports. It was a death trap. If it turned over, the batteries underneath the seats would, would fall on you and crush you, but they'd also kill you with, all the acid would come out of them, and that would get you as well.
2: Standage says that cars had to be very light because that was the only way to extend
0: their battery range. And that made them very unsafe. So, yes, there were various attempts to make electric cars in the 70s and 80s, and they were mostly disastrous.
1: How does it go without
0: gas and air?
1: How does
2: it go without sparks and explosions? How does it go without gears or transmissions? Then, in the 1990s, General Motors made an electric car called the EV1. And then you will ask... How did we go so long without it?
0: The electric car. It isn't coming. It's here. And the EV1 still had lead-acid batteries, but it had some quite interesting new features. It had a very aerodynamic shape, so they were really, you know, designing it to slice through the air and make the most of its battery power. They didn't sell it. They leased it, and they leased it to people in hot parts of America, notably California, where there were lots of sort of green-minded people who wanted to try this out. And it, had a, it attracted a cult following. But ultimately, the problem that GM had with the EV1 was that the more they talked about how wonderful and green it was, the more it reminded everybody how non-wonderful and non-green all the other products that they were selling were. And so it was, you know, the more they talked up its, its benefits, the more the drawbacks of their, their other products became apparent. And so they, they withdrew these cars, and they wouldn't even sell them to the people who were using them. They said, no, we want them all back because they were leasing them. And then they literally crushed them. And there are a couple of them. I've seen one in a museum. they were deliberately disabled. They had the powertrain taken out so that they do not work as cars anymore.
1: A 2006 documentary by Chris Payne also covered the story of the EV1. It featured celebrities like Ed Begley Jr. and Mel Gibson and claimed that the EV1 was discontinued because of big oil, big auto, and big politics.
2: When GM introduced the EV1, California was setting the toughest auto pollution standards in the nation. 10% of all cars sold here this year were to be zero-emission vehicles. But California dropped those standards after being sued by automakers.
1: At the time, GM responded that they pulled the EV1 because it wasn't a, quote, viable commercial success. And while the documentary focused on GM, it also claimed that electric cars from other automakers met the same fate.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, that's the sound of a... into a million
0: pieces. The great irony is it was the killing of the EV1 that really indirectly led to Tesla.
1: Standage says that around this time, the early 2000s, a group of engineers viewed the EV1 as proof that it was actually possible to make an electric car that worked.
0: They saw the EV1 and they said, look, basically, GM has killed this car for business reasons, for PR reasons, not for technical reasons.
1: And something big had changed. The lithium-ion battery had come to market in the 1990s as a battery for consumer goods. One popular item at the time, powered by lithium-ion batteries, was the camcorder, a handheld home video camera. And so what
0: these guys did in America was they bought... 6,000 batteries for camcorders, and they stuck them all together and put them in their electric car. And this meant that the car was much lighter than it was with the lead-acid batteries, but it also had a much longer range. And because it had the same amount of power, but it was much lighter, it therefore had much better acceleration. So it could it could beat you know any kind of supercar in a drag race. It could out-accelerate a Lamborghini or a Ferrari or anything like that. And two of the people who saw this were Martin Eberhard and Elon Musk. And they said, this is it. It's finally possible to build electric cars that aren't rubbish and that aren't embarrassing. That led to
2: the Tesla Roadster, the first car by Tesla, which, of course, is run by Elon Musk.
0: And Tesla has led the U.S. EV market ever since. Historically, Elon Musk will be remembered as the person who changed the direction of the car industry because he showed that electric cars could work. And, you know, that made all of the other car makers, they suddenly realized that what they were expecting, you know, oh, we'll get to this in 2040 or whatever. No, we have to do it now because if you're Audi or Mercedes, suddenly your customers are all buying Teslas.
2: But Standage says the biggest game changer wasn't Tesla. It was the
0: lithium-ion battery. And the thing that made that possible, the reason that Elon Musk succeeded where Thomas Edison failed, was because of the batteries and because of the lithium-ion batteries. And those batteries were developed not for use in cars, but for use in consumer electronics. That's why it's only really happened in the last 25 years or so, because we needed these other developments in in other fields to really filter through into cars.
1: In spite of the technological developments, the electric car still isn't the default. As we heard earlier, fewer than 1% of cars on U.S. roads right now are electric. Tom Standage says that the problems with range and charging that have always been associated with electric cars are still with us.
0: So you have to be very careful when you have one that you know where the charging points are. And when you find a charging point, you, you, know, you sometimes find it doesn't work or it's not compatible with the charging network that you're a member of. And it's,
1: it's really quite hit and miss. That's something we'll dive deeper into next week as we stay on the topic of EVs and look closer at the future of the car. That
0: is really being exposed as the weak spot of electric cars. And the the thing is, it's always been the weak spot of electric cars, ever since they first appeared on the scene, you know, a bit more than 100 years ago.
2: For now, Tom Standage leaves us with a reminder. In the 1890s, the car seemed like the innovation that would get rid of all the problems associated with the horse-driven carriage. As we know, the car only fixed some of those issues and brought on a slate of new ones. He says history has taught us that making the car electric won't necessarily solve everything.
0: One of the things that people assume is that the future, when you have electric cars, sort of looks the way it does now, but just instead of a petrol engine, you just have an electric motor. And instead of going to the petrol station, you just plug it in. But everything else stays the same. And I think that's not likely to be true. This is what people thought about the shift from horse and carriage to cars they thought that cars were just going to be horseless carriages and that everything else would stay the same and of course everything else didn't stay the same the car is a totally different product it changed the way that cities are built it led to new possibilities like you know supermarkets you can't have them without cars drive-in cinemas, you know, the way cities are laid out, you know, the way we go shopping, the way we entertain ourselves. All sorts of things are changed about everyday life and depend on on the existence of the car. So it wasn't just you take the horse away and everything else stays the same. And I think the same is true of electric cars.
2: Next week, we take a closer look at how electric cars are changing our lives today. How far away is an all-electric future? Plus, what are some ideas that might turbocharge this change?
1: Thanks for listening to the Best New Ideas in Money. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review. And if you have ideas for future episodes, drop us a line at at MarketWatch.com. Thanks to Tom Standage, author of A Brief History of Motion. To learn more about electric vehicles, head to marketwatch.com. I'm Stephanie Kelton.
2: And I'm Charles Passy. The Best New Ideas and Money is a podcast from Market Watch, produced by Best Case Studios. Suzanne Myers is our producer. Our associate producer is Hannah liebwitz lockard The executive producer for Best Case Studios is Adam Pincus. For Market Watch, Melissa Haggerty is the executive producer, and the producers are Meta Lutzhoft and Katie Ferguson, who also mixed this episode. Jeremy Binks is our news editor. Tim Roston is the executive editor for Market Watch. The Best New Ideas and Money theme was composed by Sam Retzer. Stephanie Kelton is an economist and a professor of economics and public policy at Stony Brook University and not part of the MarketWatch newsroom. We'll be back next week with another new idea.